Hi, and welcome to the Own Your Crypto podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Olson, head of growth at Xverse, the most advanced Web3 Bitcoin wallet, where we believe in connecting the world to a more accessible decentralized economy. If you're curious about the latest and greatest tech building on Bitcoin, you're in the right place. Each episode, we invite experts to share exciting updates about what they're working on in the ecosystem so we can share the knowledge and tools for you to own your crypto. Through casual conversations, we cover topics like blockchain technology, DeFi, financial literacy, and how to use Web3 on Bitcoin in practical ways. If you'd like to tune in live, ask questions, or join the conversation, be sure to follow Xverse on Twitter at Xverse App. This week, we're continuing the conversation around NFTs with the focus on NFT digital twins and why this has become the next big play for fashion and luxury brands and quite possibly mass adoption. So we're going to do a quick round of introductions, turn the conversation over to our special guests, and time permitting at the end, we'll do a Q&A with our listeners. With that said, let's go ahead and set the stage with some definitions around NFT digital twins. So what are these? These are about creating a digital copy of real-world objects And this can be applied to any physical object imaginable. So basically creating a sort of non-fungible receipt. And this often can look like either virtual reality or 3D modeling. Technology can be leveraged here. And what we're seeing is several advantages for both product manufacturers and users, which we'll be able to share more about when we get into this space. So we've seen a number of high-profile luxury brands as being the first to adopt the use of digital twins. For example, Nike sold crypto kicks to give owners the ability to use the sneakers digitally and physically. Breitling and Vacheron Constantin also invested in Ariani, kind of digital passport for luxury goods. Dolce & Gabbana's Collezioni Genesi consisted of NFTs paired with a physical item and digital exclusive DG events. So there's also utility benefits as well. And the list goes on. So it's a really exciting trend we're seeing. And While the general hype around NFTs may have cooled a bit amidst the bear market, we're now seeing significant trends of these luxury brands getting bullish on twinning innovation for their merchandise. So we have several special guests joining us to share their thoughts around this topic, which we're super excited about. Everyone knows Ken Lau, CEO of Xverse, and I'm sure you're also familiar with Louis Nakamoto from Ryder. But we also have some very special guests, Jack a wonderful NFT thought leader and collector, as well as Amanda Cassatt from Serotonin's marketing firm and product studio and much more. So with that said, let's do a quick round of introductions, everyone. And Jack and Amanda, we'll save you for last. So Ken and Lewis, can you start a quick introductions for those who may not know you and are joining for the first time? Sure. Hey, everyone. I'm Ken from Xverse. We are building an advanced Bitcoin super wallet powered by Stacks and Lightning. We are unlocking DeFi, NFTs, and other apps on Bitcoin through Stacks and enabling cheap, fast payments using Lightning. Hi, guys. My name is Luis. I'm the co-founder of Rider. In a nutshell, we're actually building the world's first social wallet. So what that means is we embed your on-chain identity or NFT with what we call near-field communication in hardware. And with this, you can actually use your on-chain assets within the physical space. I'll go ahead, Amanda Cassett, founder and CEO of Serotonin. I started working in this space in 2015 on the Ethereum project with CMO of Consensus, where I built the first Web3 marketing team responsible for bringing Ethereum to market and a lot of the first Web3 products like MetaMask, Infura, Chopple, and more. Serotonin is the first and largest 
Web3 marketing firm. We also do Web2 to Web3 transformations and recruiting services. We spin out products. Our first product was Mojito, the leading NFT e-commerce infrastructure used by Sotheby's, CAA, and others, and more recently, Franklin, which is crypto-native payroll for Web3 companies. So exciting to have you on the space, even from hearing your name back at, during my time at Sotheby's when you launched the metaverse. It was so exciting to see that and great to have you here to share your perspective. Jack, we have a board ape in the house. For sure. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I've been in Web3 for about a year now. Previously, I was head of product at a cybersecurity company where actually, interestingly, digital twins have a very different application. Since being in Web3, I've consulted for projects like Superlative Secret Society, Cold-Blooded Creeps. I founded with a bunch of friends, The Weirdos, uh, which I've got a mint tomorrow, um, if anyone's interested. I am also founded a Web3 research community. It's kind of focused on collectively understanding the capabilities around Web3. But now I'm exclusively focused on Momentify as the founder. Now, we're a Web3 platform for live music, and our aim is to digitally encode the experiences of live music of individuals on the blockchain. So again, relevant here, I think, because we're effectively trying to create these digital twins of human memories and human experiences, which is a little bit different, but I hope I've got something to contribute today. Oh, absolutely. We're so thrilled to have you in this space to share your thoughts. And also, I mean, I didn't catch if you mentioned, but love that you were also launching some of the first NFT galleries out there. So really exciting group of speakers here from the Stacks ecosystem and beyond. So before we get deep into technical innovations and best practices around NFT twinning with what Ryder's working on and perhaps some other applications, I'd like to take a step back and talk about the trend that we're seeing with luxury brands adopting blockchain technology. What are some of the main advantages or benefits of NFT digital twins that you're seeing brands leverage today? So Bulgari fairly recently created the thinnest watch ever. And when people bought the watch, it came with an NFT. And for high-priced luxury items, there is a long-standing tradition of authenticating their provenance with certificates. And so it's a really easy cognate to start making these certificates of authenticity. That's kind of the base level starting point. People already have these paper certificates. Why not digitize those certificates? If you're going to digitize those certificates, why not make them ownable and tradable on their own? And then the next leap is... Well, if you have a digital certificate that's ownable and tradable on its own, why not use the substrate of Web3 to give it other Web3 properties? Maybe you can redeem it for more tokens. Maybe you can use it to join a community. Maybe it's a membership to something. Maybe you can yield farm it and fractionalize it. Um, Or maybe you can use it to claim something that's held in storage. Or maybe it's an art piece in and of itself. And you can use an incentive mechanism to keep it linked with its physical counterpart or not. And that thing can be used in games. It can be brought into metaverse worlds. And that's passport into using that object in in digitally native contexts. So there are a lot of different steps there. But I think the first logical step is replacing the receipt. It makes a lot of sense that that would start with luxury, where there's already this tradition of certificates of authenticity. And I think that's going to trickle out everywhere and just replace the receipt. 
I would love to jump in here, but first I would love to give a shout out to Amanda because I know she's in Web Summit and she just came from a panel. So I love the hustle that she's just jumping on a Twitter space after her panel. But if I'm going to summarize the main advantages of digital twins, I'm going to put it in three words, right? So based from um, Amanda, what said, the first one is authenticity. So how do you know that a Birkin bag is actually authentic, right? And then the next move is ownership. So who owns this authentic piece of a luxury brand and then the last term that i'm going to use is usability so how easy it is for like a normal user to actually jump on a digital twin so these three things keywords i think are super important when we talk about the main advantages for digital twins when it comes to luxury brand which we can unwrap more later no definitely i think these are all such wonderful points around utility and even client relations and offering special subsequent experiences for loyal customers and the need for tracking provenance throughout the life cycle of these luxury pieces. And Jack, perhaps you could even add more to this from this perspective around security as well and supply chain. Yeah, if I was going to add one additional word, I think it would be interoperability especially with luxury goods, when people are spending thousands of pounds or tens of thousands of pounds on the items, then just having the ability to flex them in the real world is one thing. But as people are increasingly spending more time online, then it's going to become more important to have those proofs and be able to utilize those online. So I think NFT Digital Twins opens up a whole world of opportunity for us to be able to kind of export that value from the real world and utilize it across the multiple metaverses on Twitter, where our virtual personas exist as well. Otherwise, we're kind of really under-investing and not fully utilizing and getting the ROI out of our spend on luxury goods. So I think those are the key things for me. Such a good point, especially the metaverse utility. I mean, we're seeing, especially younger generations, where do they go to show off? They go online. They want to show their next big purchase, luxury purchase from their social media. And as we're seeing this shift, perhaps this is also why luxury brands are are turning towards having this option to also showcase pieces digitally as well. So yeah, I would be curious if anybody would like to add on to that from through the perspective of trends in the metaverse. So we work with Decentraland directly at Serotonin, and we also have worked with our clients to create metaverse activations in other Web3-enabled metaverse worlds like Sandbox. And we've also just started working with Wilder World, which is the first HD photorealistic metaverse world. And if you're thinking about things like art, if you put all the effort into creating art piece IRL, You don't want to create a cartoon version of that when you bring it into the metaverse. You want to bring it in exactly how it looks. And so I think there are going to be multiple metaverse worlds that are all really relevant here. I think for luxury retailers, the metaverse is the new Madison Avenue or the new Rodeo Drive. And it's a place where they're all going to need to have a storefront. And that storefront can be more engaging than a normal store. That store is really just a venue for the brand to engage with their Web3 community and build their Web3 community and have a much more 360 experience with them than they'd be able to have in the traditional world. Like we saw the rise of e-commerce and the decline of physical shopping. COVID obviously accelerated that. I think e-commerce is going to need to be reinvented in this context and digital twinning is just the beginning of that. Absolutely. These are all such good points all around. And also, I think it's to look at the increasing demand for tracking in regards to sustainability initiatives. For example, the fashion brand Chloe 
is looking into how they can improve their supply chain progress in a circular economy with digital twinning and having these digital IDs and seeing how now brands can move on from not just selling their products, but also managing the life cycle of their products as well. So from an investment perspective, would you see this also as increasing the value of products? Yeah, so... I would say that there's a different mentality for people that are buying digital ownable goods in NFT form than people that are buying purely physical objects. I think people are willing to spend more if there's an ownable piece of digital space because they often see that value as being parked rather than being consumed because they could believe that they could more fungibly like exit out of that crypto asset if they wanted to, obviously if there's the liquidity and the demand to do so. But if you think about it, when you're buying, for example, a membership card to a physical space, you're usually consuming those assets rather than just parking them. You don't expect to be able to recoup that value if you no longer want to use it. Same with a piece of art or a piece of clothing. Obviously, at the very high end, people think that there's a secondary retail market, but this brings that secondary retail market down. Like you can access it at a lower threshold of price point. You can access it more easily on like NFT trading platforms. And so I think people are willing to spend more. Yeah, fascinating, especially with this angle of flexibility, it sounds like as well, to be able to access these products from anywhere, anytime. Also, in regards to digital twins, breaching this physical barrier, right? Now there's this opportunity to be able to receive products even faster and you can show them off online. And as the mantra goes, time is money, right? So here we're also perhaps increasing the value through that way as well. Yeah. And just to add to the conversation, because I think it's a win-win for both parties, right? So you have the brands and then you have the user. From the user perspective, I think what's kind of interesting is the product provenance. So for me as a user, I can actually see, okay, this Balenciaga bag that I have was actually owned by Marilyn Monroe, right? So in that sense, it actually increases the value of a specific asset. And now from the brand perspective, now you can actually imagine if Rolex have a digital twins with all their watches, right? And now you can see the aggregated total sales for Rolex in secondary market. And if you see how big the total secondary market for these watches, and then it's like, it's a chain effect, right? So it's more so the aggregation of data. And I think product provenance can actually drive up the prices for these digital twins. It seems like it's a way to, in regards to provenance, you're empowering the customer because they know that not only are they purchasing something that they're going to be able to enjoy themselves, but also then when they resell it, either or are on the other side purchasing, you are able to see this fully transparent and traceable product through the digital twin. So it's a a proof of purchase that can be used to institute these strong counterfeiting mechanics here. Jack or Ken, anything to add on to that in in regards to other benefits and advantages that we're seeing through this technology? I think it's super interesting. I'm I'm not the expert on luxury items. I own very few, but I understand that people are investing in luxury items as with a speculative gains mindset. And I think... It can only be good for those items when you're comparing items with digital twins versus items without digital twins. It's clear that the digital twin use case offers a bunch more of additional utility. And it's the foundations for the type of value that Lewis was speaking about with being able to prove provenance of previous owners. I think it's there's definitely something there. Yeah, and uh, just also the obvious improvements of a digital twin versus having a 
hard copy of a receipt or something is that these NFTs that are written to the blockchains are much more durable. So even if you end up losing your receipt, there's something that you can use to prove that you have a authentic version of the product, right? And also just the nature of cryptography, it's much harder to counterfeit something compared to code on a piece of paper. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like, for example, I once heard the case of somebody wanting to auction off Jacqueline Kennedy's plastic pearls. And how do we prove that these are actually Jackie's? Because if you were to purchase any plastic pearls, it could be costing $30, but it's the fact that they're owned by Jackie that actually is what makes them priceless. So it could be something that even beyond luxury, this is something where we're seeing this need to be able to track the authenticity of something that's going to also drive further value. So just digging in a bit deeper here, Ryder, I know you've been busy, heads down building in regards to this technology. So can you tell us, Lewis, a little bit what you're working on, drops yeah. alpha here, and <laughs> why now? And yeah, and, and then perhaps also Ken would love to have you add on to that. So at Ryder, we have three products. So the first one is Bitcoin domain names. You can buy an NFT community handle of your choice. So just go to handles.weather.id. And the second product that we're launching is the digital twin tags, right? So what's different with the current tags out there is we don't use conventional NFC tags or QR codes that's like linked to a centralized website. Instead, Rider Digital Twin Tags produce a cryptographic signature that can't be falsified. So whoever owns the physical object will always control the on-chain NFT. So you've probably seen the tweet of Azuki where they're trying to popularize the terms can to own. It's the same thing. So redeem and retain can actually be the future of luxury brands by using the digital twin tags. And we'll be curious to know why NFC tags, because some of the examples I was talking about earlier with luxury brands, this is more about twinning, like having a visual representation of the product. Whereas NFC technology here, this near field communication, this is more about having this communication between the product and the NFT itself. So we'll be curious to know more about why you think this is adding value. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the three keywords, which is all about authenticity, ownership, and usability, right? I think for us in this space, we've been at long with protocol wars, like which blockchain is the best, whatever, right? But by the end of the day, if we're talking about onboarding the next billion user, the underlying blockchain doesn't really matter. Us as builders should focus on what can we do to make it like a frictionless experience. And if you look at technological adoption now, smartphones has NFC. So the most logical sense for us is to build something with near field communication. You tap into a human social behavior, which the action here is tapping, and you combine it with crypto. So in that sense, you're able to have the growth vehicle and inflection point for adoption. That's the use case for NFC. That's why we're building infrastructure, which is mainly focused on NFC and all other stuff. Because let's be honest here, there's a lot of guys on the protocol level, but not a few on the user level. And at Rider, we want to win the infrastructure, which is hardware plus software. I have to push back on the idea that underlying blockchain doesn't matter to people that are interested in NFTs. Because if you're building on an L1 blockchain that can turn on and off, or that can be shut down, or that might go away in a few years, that could destroy all the value that the creators are bringing in, and it could destroy the value of the actual NFTs that you hold, 
or prevent a holder from being able to actually access their NFTs. So I think it's essential that builders be very selective and thoughtful about their use of blockchain L1 platform, and that also buyers and traders be thoughtful about what L1 is being built on. Meanwhile, I think that there are multiple interesting platforms to build an NFT on. I obviously think Ethereum's really interesting, Polygon's really interesting. When you want to go for zero gas fees, there are a lot of other really exciting options out there that meet the criteria I described. I've also been increasingly getting interested in the Cosmos ecosystem and the whole paradigm shift toward the idea that value isn't just concentrated at the protocol level, but is rather also concentrated at the application level and that apps or dApps could each have their own chains that all share a consensus mechanism and share cryptographic security. I think that's a real paradigm shift and we might see a world where every dApp has its own Cosmos-based chain and the value really accrues at the application and user layer as opposed to just at that protocol layer, which effectively ends the like quote unquote protocol wars. Yeah, I think Amanda makes a really good point about blockchain that you're on really matters. And I think you can make a case for Bitcoin in this case as well, because compared to Ethereum, Bitcoin right now might not have the full spectrum of smart contract capabilities, but it's being built and apps are being built. And I think Bitcoin being the oldest blockchain and the most stable, having the most hash power and security, you can really make a case that if you want to use it for digital twins or something that tracks provenance of products, it's really great blockchain for that use case. I've always been excited and optimistic about more of those kinds of use cases coming out of the blockchain ecosystem, which is why I've been watching what a lot of folks on this chat have been doing over a long period of time. Ethereum originally emerged out of an effort to build something with Bitcoin or on Bitcoin. And so I certainly salute those efforts as well. Wonderful. Just loving this conversation around various cross chains and yeah, the importance around figuring out which is the most important one to build on and which makes sense for different projects and for artists and creators alike to ensure that they're building on a firm foundation here. It's not going to go away as Amanda pointed out. So circling back on this NFC technology, I just wanted to dive a bit deeper into this. I want people to realize that this is actually something that these tags, we would need to physically embed in these physical objects, right? So do we see any hesitations around this as we strive to sort of come up with a product, this digital twin, that is the words of Nick Carter, he calls them digital, right? We have now the NFT, we have the physical product, we want to have something that's fully entangled together as one item just existing in different metaphysical realms. So how do we see some blockades coming perhaps for some luxury brands, some hesitations around embedding something like a physical tag in their precious items that have been putting a lot of quality resources into? I think obviously it doesn't work for every physical object especially with luxury objects but i think what we can bet on is that the physical form factor of these things is going to improve over time they're going to become more subtle they're going to become more temper resistant they're going to trend towards something that is more suitable for every type of physical object but equally you have to understand the luxury brands treating their goods like magical items and not wanting them to be contaminated with outside inputs 
I mean, just to add to what Jack said, so I had this conversation yesterday and even today with the guys at Ryder. So I think the question is, what does the product life cycle of a user looks like, right? And these are the details that I think we should work on moving forward because right now we have the base concept and from this base concept, we need to evolve it in a way that it actually fits the current life cycle of users on how they actually buy these luxury brands. So that comes from like purchasing all the way to shipping, right? So we'll NFT market marketplaces actually evolve to support this kind of what we call digitals. And then Marvin just sent me a message about he was saying this for luxury brands, NFC tags are cheap. And currently you have their stores with these tags. So when you walk out of the store, you have this like radio signal. Oh, somebody's stealing, right? So it's the same thing. So you can just upgrade these tags with like with the more modern version ones and that's like the logical next step for them. But right now, the question is, how does it fit with their current environment? And I think also to add on to that, is there any concern around, I keep playing devil's advocate here. So sorry, Lewis. but is there a concern? I mean, we're using NFT technology. This is reliable. This is built on the blockchain. Now we're working with something that's physical, a physical tag. How else is this adding to help with the battling counterfeit products? You mentioned that they're quite inexpensive, but for example, could somebody then remove this chip and put it in another product. I think it's the same thing, right? Like, so for example, for me, I buy a Rolex watch and I still have the certificate of authenticity still in the box because by the end of the day, it adds value to the luxury item that I have. The same thing with tags, right? So by the end of the day, you can embed it on a certain product. So maybe at some point you lose the tag and it appreciates the value of your current item right so, so that's why i think when it comes to luxury brands it makes sense because they understand ownership authenticity and there's a lot of things that these companies actually get right yeah the same with everything so if i lose my certificate of authenticity with my rolex it actually depreciates in value because it's not a complete set anymore I think the security around the cloning of the tags is probably more important than the risk of theft of a particular bag and then a tag being switched from that bag to a new bag. But there's lots of angles and threat vectors to consider. Absolutely. And I think perhaps another point here is... uh even avoiding the inflation of goods. For example, brands like Louis Vuitton, there's so many counterfeits out there. And in this case, even if somehow somebody were to take the time to strategically remove a chip and put it into a counterfeit, quality counterfeit, even then you would still have a limited number of NFT twins available, right? So even then, the if there's some kind of limited edition out there, it wouldn't change the number of NFTs released of these twins. I think sometimes we take ideas from the physical world and import them into the digital world. And occasionally now we're starting to take ideas from the Web3 enabled digital world and bring them into the physical. And I think the big idea with counterfeit that's going to come from the Web3 world into the physical world is the idea that with NFTs, you can make infinite copies and there's nothing to stop anyone from doing that. But it doesn't matter because they're valueless without the on-chain provenance. You can right-click save a board ape, but that doesn't mean that anyone would ever buy it if they're savvy enough to look at the fact that it doesn't track back to the original mint from the board ape yacht club. I think we're going to see that same idea transmit into the physical world that, you know, there are going to be knockoffs, there are going to be fakes, there are going to be copies, and it's almost pointless to try to stop it. All you can do is create a better system to track the provenance 
and stop wasting resources stopping something that's just going to happen anyway. Instead, just create the more dependable provenance system so that it's valueless when you create a fake. Yeah, and if we want to talk about creating a dependable system, my co-founder and our CDO, Marvin, is actually in the call, and he was texting me the entire time on how the text that we're building cannot be cloned, and just like how your credit card, when you tap it, it can't also be cloned. So, yeah, if you just want to dive in deeper, Marvin is actually in the audience. Diving into this further, see how this technology makes sense for luxury brands, but also would be curious to perhaps shift gears a bit and explore how this technology can help further with corporate adoption and also for creators and artists and perhaps some future use cases beyond where brands are currently leveraging this technology. Well, I'm happy to take a first crack at that, which is part of it is really an expanded definition of who is a creator. It's any kind of right to IP holder. And that includes something like the NBA that did Top Shot. It includes something like Disney that has obviously like a huge catalog. It includes something like Mattel that has all of these different product lines. And those things are creators, quote unquote, in this context, because they're bringing assets, content assets, from a Web 2 context into a Web 3 context and monetizing them. Similarly, there's a whole host of online creators, whether you're a poet or a photographer or someone creating a membership club that are bringing new assets and new IP into Web3. And maybe it's Web3 native assets and IP that didn't previously exist in Web2. And there are all kinds of tools for those people. Mojito, our first product, is actually working on something in that domain that's going to be really exciting for creators to be able to immediately get to market with natively digital assets. And so that's something we're really focused on. And just to add to what Amanda said, so just like maybe Jack could actually try me here in here because he knows more like the music industry. But I did a research when I was in uni about music industry and there's a big value leakage when it comes to the royalties of artists afterwards, I think 12% just goes back to artists. And it's the same for luxury brands, right? So luxury brands at the moment, you see actually that there's a big secondary market. So for example, I'm going to go over three luxury brands. You have Rolex, you have Chanel, and you have Hermes, right? Rolex on the secondary market goes up to 40%. Chanel goes back by 11.8%. And the next one, Hermes Birkenbag actually goes up by 30%. And these are the bare minimums. Now, imagine if there's digital twins and this royalty baked in on these digital twins. So when you put this on the marketplace, the brands can actually capture the value of the secondary market. And I think for them, as a public trading company, especially in traditional one, you would want to capture this revenue, right? So for them, instead of having this big value leakage, they can actually capture it. So that if I was the CEO of Chanel, probably I let's go, let's do this. Because <laughs> they see there's another income stream that they can actually take in. Yeah, fascinating point. I was coming from Steinway and Sons earlier, and this is one of these also rare luxury products out there that appreciates in value over time. And so when people ask, what is Steinway's biggest competitor? It's not uh, these other piano brands like Yamaha. It's it's actually used Steinway pianos. (laughs) So I think it's, yeah, definitely a huge opportunity to tap into here for luxury brands where we're seeing that the secondary market, oftentimes the value of these items is appreciating. Does anyone want to add on to that? 
Yeah, I just wanted to go back to the point Amanda made about this being available to not just bigger brands, but also the smaller creators. I think bigger brands, they have the resources, financial resources to build their own system, even without having a blockchain and having this technology. But for smaller creators, like an artist, a musician, they're not going to have the ability to build out their own system to track prominence and authenticity, where this technology comes in, it's open source and decentralized. So basically, once you build it, it's there. And essentially, anyone can take advantage of it, regardless of how big your business is. Just to add to what Ken said, it also applies. Okay, let's remove the term luxury brands. And just like, okay, let's, we're empowering artists as well, right? Because by the end of the day, if you're an artist, you get popular, but then you don't really see the secondary value of it as well. So it's kind of the same thing. So by the end of the day, I think the goal for this technology is what you call user-owned internet, right? Everything that you do online, you capture. All great points around. I do have a few more questions for the space today regarding authenticity and how Amanda's point, anyone can just copy these NFTs. So how do we see social channels, for example, adapting this further? Because are people really going to take the time to look at the, the provenance? Whereas you can see something, you can tell the quality of something physically, so you can tell if it's real or not. Whereas the NFT, somebody's just copied and pasted and put it as a PFP. So do we see applications and various channels adapting to connect the verification between the blockchain and these various places? I think it's actually much easier to learn how to verify an NFT or to check the provenance of an NFT than it is to for example, know how to tell tell signs that a, a particular brand of handbag or jeans or watch has been faked. So I think actually it brings some kind of homogeneity to the act of having to kind of check the and verify the provenance of an item. So maybe I'm a little bit too technocentric, but I think it, it should make it easier. So just shifting gears a bit, we were talking about various blockchains and building onto these firm foundations. So we'd be curious to dive deeper into how do we see Bitcoin's role here in a multi-chain world as we start to move into this interconnected sense of networks from the application side to infrastructure. Are there any related pros and cons of adopting this NFT twinning technology on different blockchains? And Lewis, how do you see this being built out with Rider? Yeah, so you know me, I'm like a multi-chain guy. I mean, Stacks wasn't my first love, but by the end of the day, we're multi-chain, right? So for us, I think it depends on which kind of brands you work with because certain protocols are for certain use cases. So maybe if a brand that wants to buy the tag, okay, we want to be on Solana because then maybe we want to use it on like a festival, on like a high volume kind of event this tag imagine a pokemon go live in the city right you scan this little text you get something that could be on solana and maybe you want to work with gucci then you have to be on ethereum right so for us when we launch writer tags this q4 it's going to be evm friendly stacks based as well but by the end of the day you as a user have a choice because again crypto isn't a zero-sum game and as a user, you would want to opt in and exit any protocol at any time. I think the most difficult thing is implementation because this T within certain ecosystems is kind of siloed and fragmented, right? But I think right now you see there's a lot of bridge. I mean, still debatable. But <laughs> I think probably there's going to be a one marketplace that will aggregate all of it and win. We'll see. 
Super. Well, thanks so much for chiming in there, Lewis. Really appreciate your perspective. And really, thanks for all of our speakers today. We are coming close to the end of our space. So would like to take a round from our speakers to hear where can people go to learn more and connect with you? So perhaps, Lewis, we'll start with you since you just had the mic. I think the most important plug that I'm going to make today is rather pre-sale. The first 5,000 devices and from the pre-sale, it's going to be seven months kind of waiting time. Depends if there is no hurdle on the manufacturing process. But pre-sale, December 10, $300. The mint is on Ethereum and Stacks. That's the plug-in, Rider.id. I'll go quickly. Serotonin is at serotonin.co spelled like the neurotransmitter serotonin then mojito our first product spin out is at mojito.xyz and at mojito underscore nft on twitter i'm at amanda.e at amanda cassett c-a-s-s-a-t-t you can follow me here and then i also have a book coming out on april 4th 2023 which is called web3 marketing a handbook for the next internet revolution which is coming out from wiley it's one of the first ever Web3 business books. So definitely pick that up. The pre-order link will be dropping soon. We're definitely going to be getting an order of that book for the whole Xverse team. So thanks so much. Super excited to read it. And yeah, I've been keeping an eye on it. Love the cover art. And yeah, really thrilled to, to have you on this space today, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm afraid I don't have too much to pitch, but I'd love to speak to anybody. Jump into my DMs, and they're always open. But yes, we will be launching Mementify over the coming weeks and months. So if you want to follow Mementify, it's in my bio, and you can find a link through to it there and follow along, and we'll be making some announcements shortly. Cool. And finally, you can find Xverse on our website at xverse.app. We are currently on Android and iOS, and we'll be on desktop very soon. And as always at Xverse, we're here to put our community first and help onboard users to Web3 economy. Be sure to follow us and join our community. Let us know if you have any feedback on the app as we continuously work to build the most advanced Bitcoin Web3 wallet. Thanks so much again, everyone, for your time. Really great to have everyone on here and stay tuned and we will see you next time. This has been the Own Your Crypto podcast brought to you by Xverse. Our intention with this podcast is to empower you to take charge of your crypto with confidence and get excited for the future of self-custodial finance. If you enjoyed the conversation, please leave us a rating so more people can discover the show and feel free to share with a friend who's also curious about the future of Bitcoin. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll connect with us on Twitter at Xverse app and see you next time.